Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. This week, this episode, we recap the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Joseph Newgarden finally wins the Indy 500. Team Penske gets their 19th win, first since 2019. And for Newgarden, his 12th try is the charm, just like it was for Tony Kanaan uh, 10 years ago back in 2013. So, Justin, obviously we have a, a lot to dive into, but uh, you had a busy weekend out southwest. Yes, I did. And I had a busy weekend at the track, but we are here now in person, ready to recap this race and look ahead to the points race. It is finally time. Yeah, finally to look, finally time to break down the point standings. So we'll we'll do that. We'll go we'll go driver by driver. Yes, we'll go all the way. We'll start at the bottom and work our yeah, way yeah. up, including the Indy five hundred one offs. Yeah, yes, we'll rate them too, and their <laughs> no. chances at a championship. Yeah, that, just kidding. We won't do that. <laughs> Don't worry. We will not bore you with that. So uh, we'll start with our three things. I, I think my first thing is quite simply my apologies, Team Vinsky. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, after throwing we, up the middle finger at you after I, I, I said, well, at the Indy 500 now, not at the rest of the series, to be clear, but I said at the Indy 500, they've basically been a mid pack team the last handful of years. And while that was true, even into qualifying this year, that was definitely not true on race day. New garden started 17th, slowly worked his way through the field, gained a handful of positions, first 20 laps or so. Then he's in the top 10 and then he's hovering around the top five. And then late in the race, you know, he's in that he's he's either first, second, or third. Yeah. And then obviously able to make the the move on that final restart after the third red flag. And I'm sure you'll have thoughts on that. But overall, for Team Penske, yes, Will Power never really had the speed. He had an issue, uh, right? In a was it in a pit stop? Um, he had an issue at yeah. one point during the race. Scott McLaughlin just never really was able to move forward. Um, and then he took out Simon Pagano. I was surprised there was no penalty there for that late in the race, taking out uh, Pagano as part of uh, one of the handful of crashes in the final 15 or so laps. But Newgarden was was a guy who had a car who was able to get through traffic. He was able to move up through the field, which everyone said, oh, it's going to be really difficult to pass. Well, Newgarden became the first guy going back to Rossi to win... Uh, from a double-digit starting position, and he came all the way back from 17th. So I think for Joseph Newgarden, I mean, this is a career-defining moment for him. It wouldn't shock me if he won the championship either. Um, But I guess my biggest takeaway is Team Penske, I don't want to say finally got it done, right? They've won this race 19 times now. But this was a shift that we hadn't seen in several years, having one of their cars not only... You know, we saw Simon Pagio finish third, but he was a late charger. He was not, you know, leading laps and contending for the win a couple years ago. And just Newgarden had a top five. But this is the first time in several years that they were very much in the picture and Newgarden able to finally get that Indy 500 win. So Team Penske back at the Speedway. Everything went right for Joseph Newgarden and staying out of trouble, not being caught up in anything, moving slowly up the field and taking advantage of opportunities. And that's what you have to do to win the Indianapolis 500. And Joseph Newgarden was able to do it. And we, we, we know just how paramount this was for Joseph Newgarden and wanting to win this race and feeling the pressure to win 
this race and getting it done i feel was equal parts exuberance and relief in winning the 500 because now he puts all those questions to bed and asking when he's going to win it and if he can win it and can he win it and put the doubters to 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 rest and i not just for himself but also team penske at least with one of the three cars but uh joseph newgarden gets it done gets the dub feel great for him uh the celebration too going into the to the crowd was was incredible and amazing and um just a great ambassador for the sport even before this and now a indianapolis 500 champion for joseph newgarden sounds great sounds long overdue but got it done on his 12th try yes and and i think for newgarden you know what this means for him it's not just the fact that he's an indy 500 champion it's that in a way it's relief right that oh, he doesn't absolutely. have to answer this question and i think even for us now if he would have qualified a little bit better i think we probably would have been more inclined to pick him to win the race but you know going into every year we think okay well we always pick joseph newgarden to win the indy 500 we're not going to do that to him this year and i don't <laughs> i don't know if we necessarily did i think we yeah. shied away from it and uh i mean you can go back and, and see our preseason predictions we we probably did i i can't recall but I don't think I did purposely because yes. I keep picking him and he doesn't. Yeah, I think that's kind of what we kind of came to that conclusion is that, you know, eventually he's going to win it. Well, eventually finally happened. And for him, it's it's exciting to have a first time winner. It's exciting to have an American winner. Um, not that there's anything wrong with someone winning from elsewhere. I mean, I think it would have been cool if it finished under green, mind you, to have Marcus Erickson go back to back or Pato Ward get his first win or, you know, a handful of guys who are contenders all day. but. Uh, becomes the first driver from Tennessee to win the 500 as well. So in the fourth closest finish, yeah, which is kind of hard to believe, but it, that's what happens. You have a late restart, and now you wonder. Uh, I get it. Pelot's been really consistent all championship, but when you talk about the championship, Newgarden is definitely going to factor into it. And I think it. It helps the Indianapolis 500 in the sense that you had a guy that started 17th win the race because so much is put on the pole and the fast 12 and starting up front and all that stuff and for good reason. But at the same time, when you have two guys that started 10th or worse, first and second, I think that says a lot about the depth of the field and where you can win with this race. And you look at even... Elsewhere in the top 10, when you have Colton Herta starting 21st and finishes 9th, Connor Daly starts 16th, finishes 8th. Those are good signs for this event that, while some will say passing is difficult at times, particularly towards the front, you can still start in the midfield of this race and win it. And there's not very many races around that you can say that about. And it's uh, encouraging that we had that happen in the 500 as well this year because... Coming out of qualifying weekend, Team Penske very much an afterthought in the sense of being able to compete for a win, and yet starting 17th, the worst of the Penske drivers, Joseph Newgarden gets it done and wins. What is your first takeaway? Uh, My first takeaway is just the event in general. And you were there. You had boots on the ground. uh, The rating was good. It was up. Uh, The share uh, was up. The best in, what, 15 years uh, TV share. 
the the crowd was immense it just it, it felt every much of the of the sense of what this event means and the magnitude of it and it delivered on television in person uh for you and the winner as well and the emotions there and, and i think we've questioned even a decade ago of what the future of the indianapolis 500 looked like in the sense of being a marquee event again and the celebration around the 100th and the 100th anniversary and all that was was helped by that but i i really it it, it was it's helped tremendously by roger penske but it was already going in that direction and all the credit to me in my opinion goes to doug bowles is keeping the momentum from the 100th anniversary going and growing this event and, and i think he's been a tremendous ambassador for the event and the track and it's been helped by roger penske no doubt but I think Doug Bowles deserves the lion's share of the credit because he was there before Roger Penske. He had the momentum going before Roger Penske. And this thing has become as big as it's been, in my opinion, in, in 20 years is what we've seen lately. This is the biggest it's been since the split outside of the yeah. 100th, which we knew would draw a big crowd just because right. of the novelty. And, and I kind of take the 100th out because of that, because it was special yeah. because of the 100th. Is, this is the 107th. There's, there's nothing special about the number or whatever yet. It had 330,000 people there. I was saying on Friday, you know, uh, on Carb Day and even really before going down for Carb Day festivities and, and being a part of that, but the buzz felt like it was back from practice days where they had the, the first day of practice washed out due to the rain, but then first practice day, it's like, wow, that's a pretty big crowd for a Wednesday right. afternoon for practice. And then Fast Friday crowd was good. And then qualifying crowds were were up the largest in a decade. Uh, and then you you get into... Even the Monday practice session, right, after qualifying, right. had a, a, a noticeable crowd. And then, obviously, Carb Day drew 75,000 people. They said that was the biggest, what, since 2016, I believe, uh, for that. So you're seeing all of that growth leading up until the race, and then race day felt as big as ever. Yes, there were a few empty seats. Um, less than 5,000 reserve seats remained, and, and by race day, I've... I, haven't seen like an official report as far as how many because they're not going to release. They're that, never going to release. We're, we're talking event. probably two to three thousand empty seats, right? Tops. Um, this event, it wouldn't shock me with Kyle Larson coming in next year. Plus, you have the hybrid units, so yes, the, the cars will maybe weigh a little bit more, but a lot more horsepower for qualifying. You know, could we have a, a qualifying new qualifying record? And it's something to think about. And maybe even potential of another kind of star player outside of IndyCar coming back. You know, whether it's Jimmy Johnson returning, Kyle Busch somehow getting a ride, or Fernando Alonso, Fernando Alonso coming in. There, there's some some other opportunities beyond just Kyle Larson. It wouldn't shock me at all if reserve seating gets sold out as far as the grandstands. Now, what they do at the infield kind of determines, I would say, if they go blackout or not. But I thought if they're close this year, I think certainly next year. That could absolutely happen. And you mentioned Doug Bowles. I mean, they had 220,000 people come to the race in 2015. The crowds were, were shrinking. Yeah. Then you have the, the big boost. And their goal in 2017 was, we'll just beat the 2015 number. And they, they more than did that. In fact, right. they've gone up You know, every year. You know, After 2016, they, they've gone back up, trending upward every yeah. year after that, um, post-2017. So... Uh, year over year. So that's been a positive and it just, it feels like this is a big event. You have a big, uh, a record purse, 3.2 yep. 
nearly $3.7 million for just Newgarden to win, over a million dollars for Marcus Erickson to finish in second, $17 million overall in the purse. These are all positive signs for this event and the sport because the Indy 500 being strong means the sport is strong. And and we already saw that, right, this year that, that as far as crowds at race events and a, a, a large field. Now you just wonder if you can bottle that and you know get better TV ratings and get more entries for the Indy 500 because of what we saw this year. And I don't think there's one particular reason why the crowd's up. I know people want to point to the speeds and, oh, that's why more people are coming out. I think there's, there's certain people that, yes, they do buy into that higher speeds. They want to go. Other people um, are just seeing the event that they've made it. Um, I think the weather has a lot, a lot to do with it and, and just the, the atmosphere at the track and wanting to come back and what they've done to, to really magnify that. I don't think it's one magic solution. I think it's a combination of things, but the people in charge, Doug Bowles, Roger Penske, Penske Entertainment, and everybody have found that perfect mixture of everything to bring in a broad range of people that are interested in a broad range of different things. And it's all kind of worked together to really get the Indianapolis 500 back to how it used to feel when we were kids and even before we were around. And it feels as big in my lifetime that I can remember as big as any time. Now, now you get in when I was 10, 11 years old in the early 90s, late 80s. Yeah, but I don't want to remember that. I'm talking about when I remember the Indianapolis 500 it feels as big as it's ever felt. Yeah, and and for me, I'm a little bit younger, and the, you know, I don't remember IndyCar before the split. Yeah, so I grew up, and the first Indy 500 I remember was '97. I was like an RA fan as a kid. Yeah, and and then you had Penske, and uh, then Team Green that became Andretti and Ganassi come over in the early 2000s, and like, yeah, it was the crowds were big then, but you weren't getting the infield crowd, and it it still was not the same. And we all thought, okay, once you have reunification in 2008, everything will maybe not go back to how it used to be, but right. you'll gain some momentum and then you have the recession, right? <laughs> that yeah. killed all the momentum. Yeah. So it's been a long, slow climb and some of the factors beyond IndyCar's control. But I think the biggest thing in recent years, and you touched on a few of the, the items and elements that factor into it. I think one of the biggest things is quite simply in 2020, you couldn't go. Sure. And in 2021, it was limited to essentially a third of the crowd we saw yeah. on Sunday. And so you you create an event where, again, through no fault of the Speedway, uh, so some scarcity, right? And you miss the event and you say, oh, I couldn't go. I can't wait to get back. And last year we saw that the crowd get back. You know, a lot of those people, though, using ticket credits. This year was was full, full bore, full ahead. Everyone wanting to be back part of this event. And it's almost like that brief pause in a way helped kind of build momentum for the race again. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? When, exactly. when you take something away and maybe you don't truly understand how much it means to you until you can't participate or can't be involved. And then it becomes uh, much more valuable when you are able to come back. And I think for a certain amount of people that, has been uh, the feeling not being able to go in 2020 and some people, of course, not even in 2021. So, yeah, I think a, a lot of combination of factors fall into what has made this event feel like a huge deal again and uh, definitely delivered on Sunday. And and that'll be kind of one of the storylines we get to later here uh, today is the decisions made 
or not made and the impact on the event that is your your marquee event for the season and maybe why some of the decisions were made or, or not made. So we'll get to that. But uh, your number two here as we talk about our three things. Uh, one last thought on, on, on the crowd and everything. To go with a Penske adage, effort equals results. Yes. Right? So they're, they're getting the results. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to save the red flag talk for you. Oh, because me, I want to huh? get into something because I don't feel that passionately you know, about it either way. Yeah. And I know a lot of people do. That's fine. But I think the thing that my biggest takeaway beyond obviously Team Penske and, and just Newgarden victory lane and and um, going into the crowd, you know, all of that. Yeah. Mo- driving through the field, an impressive drive by him, finally getting that first Indy 500 win. On the flip side, my biggest takeaway beyond that was how the Aero McLaren team had going into the race four drivers you thought that could legitimately win the race. Now, maybe uh, a bit more of a surprise just for Tony Kanaan because it's it's hard for one-off guys to win, right? But but he was competitive. He ended up finishing mid-pack. Never really a factor, which I think was surprising. I figured, okay, he's starting ninth. He'll find his yeah. his way into the top five within 15, 20 laps. Yeah. That never happened. We had three other guys who had good cars. You had Pato Award who led the most laps. You had Felix Rosenquist who led the third most. And you had Alexander Rossi who was hovering, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, basically the entire race. He ended up finishing fifth. And for all the hype going into this month with this team and even this season, it just feels like another missed opportunity. And, and in particular for Felix Rosenquist and Pato Award. So Rosenquist, uh, he got passed by New Garden into turn one on one of those late restarts. Got washed up in the dirty air. Ends up taking out Kyle Kirkwood, who was running top five. Obviously, the wheel goes into the crowd, or not into the crowd. Luckily, but, not know, in the crowd. Not, yeah, we'll thankfully, not into the crowd. But he had a great race car. He had a car capable of winning the, this race. And that was a screw up on his part. Yes. And that very much effectively felt like. Th- the final nail in the coffin for Felix Rosenquist for next season. Didn't far, it? I mean, a, a top three start as far as returning to McLaren. Yeah. That, that yes. felt like that was it. I, I had heard a rumor. I don't know if it was any car deep throat, but someone telling me that like Felix Rosenquist has to perform this race. If he wants to ride at McLaren for next year. Well, that's what I heard. Townsend Bell dropped that at some point okay, over the weekend and, and basically said that, that his career is hinging on uh, with McLaren is hinging on this race. And, it wasn't bad luck that took him out. It wasn't a mechanical thing that took him out. Felix Rosenquist screwed up and crashed, and that just felt like the death knell for Felix Rosenquist with McLaren uh, going into next season. Uh, even if they add a fourth car, I just don't feel like Felix is going to be part of that. And and looking at McLaren as a whole, as powerful as they've become and continue to grow, they can't close. Their drivers can't close. They can't close at the 500. They can't close in the championship. You could say all the accolades of Pato Award still can't close. Uh, makes a dumb move, in my opinion. You can blame Marcus Erickson if he wants. It's a bad move. It's a late move. Erickson's trying to stay on the racing line because he doesn't want to get up wide in the turns and end up like Felix Rosenquist into the wall with the marbles. And he makes a bad decision and wrecks. And uh, the guy that uh, we mentioned, Felix Rosenquist, the guy that kept it clean but just didn't have the the power at the end was was Alexander Rossi and it just never felt like Rossi had the car to win. I think he had a contending car to finish in the top three, but for me, I just never felt like Rossi 
had a car to win. If you have a car to win, eventually you're going to get past that fourth or fifth slot right. and find yourself in the top three. And that and just never did. That never happened yeah. um, for any significant amount of time in the race Sunday. And, and back to Pato Award. I couldn't believe how dumb of, a, in my opinion, that was an incredibly dumb move. I understand making that move if we're on the final lap. Right. But anytime before that, that was a reach. Uh, I mean, you dive underneath. It's the same thing Takuma Sato did back in 2012. But again, that was on the, the final lap. laps. Yeah. Like, and a lot of people said, well, he should have waited until going to three. You know what? You, you go for it whenever you have the chance. Yeah. I get that then. But what Pato Award did uh, with his crash at the time, there was still a handful of laps left. I, I just. I did not understand that move that he made on lap 193 going into turn three after a restart. Like that was way too aggressive. Just wait. There was going to be an opening. Just wait, be patient. Right. right? And I, I just thought, even if you get underneath him, how do you make that corner? It was so late right. of a move. Yeah. Like you, like you're not even reaching the apex of the corner correctly. So like, how do you even make that stick? And for him to say, uh, it was one thing as far as his comments after that crash. Yeah. But he's still hammering it. Yes. That and he didn't do anything wrong. It, he said he got pinched and Marcus Harrison's just trying to stay on the racing. Yeah. Line. Yeah. Like he's just trying to make the corner and he, he said, he, what I don't get is last year, he went for it and then, and even we interviewed him last week. He said it was the logical move. Like he, he wasn't going to make the corner when he was side by side with Marcus Erickson going into one late in the race last year. But then this year, he said the chances of me getting another run like that were going to be very slim, uh, telling the Indy Star after the victory banquet on Monday. I just, I don't understand. Like there was not a gap there. I feel like the hammering of Pato Award for not making moves last year or the move at the end mm-hmm. factored into him being overly aggressive with that move. And, and he said... I, and that know. was on Marcus Erickson. Marcus Erickson was the one he didn't pass that people thought he could pass for the win at the end of last year. I think that directly ties in last year to what the the move he made this year. He said, in the moment, I got squeezed. I won't forget that one, saying that he was pinched and I thought uh, that's laughable because you try to make a move where uh, th- uh, simply th- there was no space. There was there was no way it was going to work or both cars were going to make it. Okay, that's one thing. But then he doubled down later saying um, that next, you know, next time he'll be friends with the wall, basically. Yeah, and, about Erickson, which it's one thing to say in the moment when you're doing the interview after the crash and you're frustrated. It's another thing to double down. Uh, I'm here for it, though. Yeah, I'm here for the for for the talk and the potential drama. It's, That's for sure. It's one thing to have a popular driver, you know, everybody loves, but now it seems he's making enemies with more and more people in the paddock. Obviously, enemies with Marcus Erickson now. He's just picking picking and fights with Ganassi, Ganassi drivers, right? <laughs> Obviously, calling Scott Dixon a baby after the the Long Beach melee that they had which i don't necessarily disagree with pato award i mean on the baby part but in the the move that he made yeah that move i'm okay with because indycar has basically said if you're going to be even in a corner and they banged wheels side by side and dixon went into the tires like indycar's let that go right so on one hand scott dixon's got to be more aggressive and let that go on the other hand pato award with this move against marcus erickson was never going to work 
And the fact that he said next time he'll make friends with the wall. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how that plays out this weekend at Detroit. Because this is a storyline worth following when you have a championship contender who, you know, leading into the Indy 500, you could say he was one of the favorites to win this race. Definitely had a car capable of winning yep. and threw it away with a move that they thought was way too over eager at the time of the race. And and here we are. And for this team, as you mentioned, eventually you got to close, right? And we'll be curious to see how the rest of the season plays out. Yeah, and uh, you know, staying on that for for my number two and wanted to talk about Marcus Erickson and same say came so close to back to back Indianapolis five hundred wins, first time since what, two thousand two, two thousand three? Uh, uh two thousand one, two thousand two, yeah, with Elio. And phenomenal drive by Marcus Erickson. I understand his frustrations with the final red. However, this is a guy that his four IndyCar wins have all come in races under red uh, that have that have had the red thrown. So just kind of wrong place, wrong time in terms of leading the Indianapolis 500 late. And he can have legitimate beef. I get it because he was about to win that race. If it stays under yellow, he would have won. But um, another phenomenal drive by Marcus Erickson. At this point, Chip Ganassi has seen enough to make sure he stays, right? I, I One would think. I, I mean, all the, the hubbub on Carb Day when Chip did his annual Chip on the Bricks presser and then Zach Brown one-upped him by by doing a, a press conference before and he was asked, you know, you know his, his, his thoughts, thoughts about stealing, stealing yeah, Nathan Brown drivers asking from Chip question. Ganassi and he yeah. said, uh, I don't think I, I stole. If someone's available, we go after him. Yeah, and he's almost said it's up to the team to make sure he's not available. Yes. And Alex Pillow is available because of it, and Marcus Erickson is available because of it. So you would hope, Chip, after what the drive that Marcus Erickson did and almost becoming a back-to-back winner for the first time in over 20 years, that's enough for Chip, for, for Chip Ganassi to make the decision to sign him, I would hope. I mean, at this point, you don't even wait for the money to be available. Like, just lock him in right now. It just makes too much sense. The fact that he has three... Of the, what, top five, maybe six. I feel like Dixon slipped a little. Yeah. Um, But he's still up there. I mean, between Pelot, Erickson, Dixon, you throw in Newgarden, you throw in... Pato, I still Pato, put up there. You throw in... Uh, I mean, this is where it gets iffy. McLaughlin or, or Power, probably yeah. the other. Yeah. And you could give... I could, you could argue either one. You say, well, Power just won a championship last year. Yes, but they only won one race, and it feels like McLaughlin's career is on a more upward right. trajectory uh right now that could all change this weekend obviously but you have three of the top six drivers i don't think that's a stretch and obviously scott dixon locked in for a while you're you losing polo you're losing Plo to mclaren so you gotta find a way to keep erickson there's no excuse it's- now there, there were rumors i think there are rumors that you know erickson's under consideration at McLaren for that fourth car. Well, of course, if they can make it work, but the understanding is it's expected. He'll stay at Chip Ganassi. They just got to find a way to work this out. We saw this last year, right? With Pato Ward and his frustrations. Yeah. The longer you know, it goes, going, but the long, yeah, that's right. The, the longer more it goes, uncertain it becomes, right? The, the more you become concerned, the, the closer you get to the official. And I don't know. What is it? What is it? July one or something, August, something where they mm-hmm. can offer offer contracts. If you don't have it locked in by then and it becomes a bidding war, then the more likely it is he leaves. Particularly with Marcus Erickson, and the longer it goes, maybe the more uh, of a grudge he then holds with Chip Ganassi is why am I still out here 
racing without a long-term contract with with Chip Ganassi, and that then in itself can affect negotiations in a negative light with Chip Ganassi and make other uh, overtures from other teams sound great because, hey, other teams actually want me to race for them and be paid as opposed to Chip Ganassi. So don't overestimate the fact that the longer it goes, the the more um, jaded Marcus Erickson will become with that team in the sense that he isn't being properly rewarded or compensated for his efforts and making himself or making him feel appreciated, which I think he doesn't right now with Chip Ganassi racing. Yes. And the fact that he's not bad for a pay driver after last year's Indy yeah. 500, that's still, unfortunately, still a factor. at this year. I mean, he's, he's bringing funding to race that car and but he's yeah, racing the he's hell out of the a, car. A, a top five driver in the series right now. Yes. Right now. So, uh, a, a great drive for Marcus Erickson didn't work out for him at the at the end, um, but that's the way it goes with that. But what's your number three? Um, let's see. I just gave my number two, did I not? So I, my it, number two was was Marcus Erickson. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So my number three. Um, Do you want to talk about the red flags? I'll save that for you. Okay. That'll be your third. I'll, let's talk AJ Foyt Racing. Yeah, let's do it. So Santino Ferrucci. We thought going into the race, I know on Friday in our, our Carb Day live show preview, you had Santino Ferrucci as a legit contender as far as, yeah, you know, not you a dark put him horse. On, on he was a legitimate your, contender. Your, your short list with Polo. I think you had what? Polo, Ferrucci, and was it Pato? Pato. And yeah, then that. I think I had Polo, Pato, Sato, and then I had Ferrucci as a, a dark horse. A dark horse, yeah. None of us had Joseph Newgarden no. anywhere. <laughs> no, we, no, we did not. Uh, we'll own that, but yes. I think what he did with that team, I mean, it was just, it was refreshing to see. It was the highest finishing position, the Indy 500 for Foyt going all the way back to 2000 when LSAO Salazar finished in third. This was a, a renaissance month for the team. Benjamin Peterson, uh, rookie of the year. He was involved in that late restart crash on the straightaway. Um, he finished 21st, but did win rookie of the year. Uh, unfortunately for him, he was running, you know, in that 12th through 15th range, most of the race. Um, but for a rookie to just stay out of trouble, as long as he did, all the other rookies were involved in crashes. And so that the Sexton properties machine of Benjamin Peterson, able to win that rookie of the year. That's a, that's a bolt, uh, a, a big boost for not only him, but also the team. And then for Ferrucci, what he did, the reaction he got from the crowd when he led a handful of laps in this race, you thought he had a chance, but he was pushed back to third from second before that final restart in the the, the scoring order. But for a, a podium finish for this team, now how will this carry over to Detroit? I have no idea. Right. But what we saw in May in in the race that, let's not kid ourselves, every team cares more about the Indy 500 than they do winning the championship. Right. And for this Foyt team to have that kind of result and have the kind of month they did with those drivers was massive. It was a phenomenal drive for Santino Ferrucci. I said on the Carb Day show that we had that if he could stay out of trouble and not be impatient, that he had a shot. And he was patient, he was calculated, and he was fast. And that combination put him as a contender all day uh, for AJ Foyt Racing. It was awesome to see you know, Larry Foyt being interviewed late in a race. Like, when's the last time you saw that? AJ being shown 
multiple times and and being talked about when was that a case uh, outside of maybe the start of a race and and talking about AJ before the 500 or something like that he was actually a pivotal part of the broadcast in uh, the race itself but I think the big question now is what AJ Foyt Racing does with this is now that you've had it you have limited options for opportunity uh, when something like this presents itself and and now all of a sudden you're galvanized by a, a great run, a great month. Even Benjamin Peterson was fast, right? But uh, Santino Frucci brought it home in third and very, very impressive, right? But what do you do now? Is it is it back to normal? And, and it's going to be really tough for AJ Foyt Racing to move quickly enough for this week to continue the positive momentum. But what does this do long-term for AJ Foyt Racing? You and I are both the belief that when AJ passes, if he ever does this team could go the way of Richard Petty Motorsports and basically come into another form, right? Um, somebody buying it out, whatever, a major investment or investor coming in and changing the name, all that stuff. But can AJ Foyt Racing use the momentum they gained out of Indianapolis long-term to solidify their efforts monetarily and uh, the ability to compete week in and week out in this series, can they use this momentum positively? I don't think you're going to see all of a sudden a great changeover now that we go to Detroit or, or the rest of the season. But can this momentum feed into 2024 to where this team can start being a more consistent contender in this series and not just in May? Yeah, and for for this team, this this means you know getting top 10, 11, 12 finishes, right? Yeah, like the rest of the way. If you have results better than that, that's awesome. But I mean, if both you teams, can be both drivers in leader circle. Would yes. be big, right? Yes. I mean, those oh, absolutely. And, and those kind of results, so that's huge. And and I think Ferrucci having success is, is maybe a, a not that big of a surprise. This is a guy who has five top ten finishes in five Indy five hundreds, and he's done it now with four different teams. Which is so very impressive. It's a really good track record for a guy who just turned twenty five. In fact, as we record uh, today on Wednesday, May thirty first, it is his twenty fifth birthday. So a, a guy who. Has not really had much, you know, in terms of chances full time. I mean, he did 2019, he did 2020, and then now this year, there's been some gaps, but he's proven himself to be a quality driver, you know, a top 10, 11, 12 driver in the series, especially as, you know, some drivers are aging out a full time competition. Um, and, and then younger guys obviously coming in. And for Benjamin Peterson, man, I mean, this month was completely unexpected. I mean, running 235 mile an hour laps in practice, right. um, making a fast 12. These are all the kinds of things that gain you confidence as a young driver. And yes, well, he was taken out on that final restart involved in a crash to to last that long in the Indy 500, to have both cars perform exceptionally well mechanically to, to the drivers to not make mistakes, put themselves in position to be there at the end. That's a huge boom for this team. And even... The one moment where I know I said Friday, you were more concerned with Ferrucci making a mistake. I was more concerned with, okay, how are the pit stops going to be? Can the pit stops be yeah. good enough to keep them in contention? More than enough. And the one time there was a controversy uh, where the tire was starting Rolled to out. get away, yeah, um, they were able to save it. Monetary fine. My understanding is that's normal. I know they were kind of calling for a lot more. They're calling for what a drive-through on the broadcast. Yeah, but. and it was very interesting. And you, this was the fascinating thing over the course of the weekend. You could see how anti Santino Ferrucci James Hinchcliffe was, and how pro 
Santino Ferrucci Townsend Bell was to the point <laughs> that like they almost came to blows during the broadcast yes. with that penalty it because it's a little heated. Yeah, it was because James Hinchcliffe, was, of course, it left the pick, pit box and Townsend Bell saying, of course, it didn't. Well, it was obvious it left the pit box. James Hinchcliffe was correct. But over the course of the weekend, you could see Townsend Bell rooting for Santino Ferrucci, rooting for AJ Foyt Racing, and obviously James Hinchcliffe, not as much of a fan. Like he kept it professional, but obviously uh, wasn't was, isn't too impressed by Santino Ferrucci. But uh, the fact of the matter is, he he wheeled it pretty well. The team did a, a pretty solid job, and even Larry Foyt said it uh, when asked about how, where the, this team found speed is is money and assets and uh, uh, ability and if they can continue that momentum based on what they did at the 500 and bring in more capital and more ability to invest money. And, and that's prize money and sponsorships and finishing in the leader circle with both cars. If they could do that, that's a boost. Like those things all go towards slowly, but surely turning this thing around and being a consistent contender. But uh, it was a huge weekend for AJ Foyt racing to be sure. I would say because the tire was never out, like, yes, it was technically beyond the white line, but it was it was secured. I know I, I'm OK with the fine. No, I'm sure. And that, that's the, if that's the precedent, then totally fine with it. But I know some people wanted a drive through stuff, stuff out of your pit box or whatever. From what we understand is that's a normal penalty for that kind of incident. Yes. And as someone pointed out. AJ himself actually helped. Yeah, he did. He's reaching over there, yeah. reaching over, getting what was it, a tire, the hose, yeah, uh, out of the way from the left front. Yeah. So look, that was the one moment in the pits, and they were able to escape. Monetary fine, they'll pay that fine every yeah. day of the week, <laughs> based on it not impacting the race. So I, I think the renaissance for the Foyt team. It was it was fun to see. It was fun to see Ferrucci take the lead and get a lot of cheers from the crowd. And to be a true contender to win this race. And you, you just wonder now, it's like, you know, what what does Ferrucci do not only the rest of this year, but, you know, what kind of market is there for him as far as, you know, can he stay with this team and build something or yeah. will another team try to poach him away? We'll see how well, that plays out. And I think that's part of uh, what the what the AJ Foyt team needs to, to, to commit to is commit to some drivers too. And if they can keep Santino Ferrucci, that makes more sense going forward. But uh yeah, let's talk about let's let's talk about the red flags. I'm number three, and it's interesting because I I, I kept relatively spoiler th- free on Sunday as I was traveling, trying to travel home, and eventually finished the race in the baggage claim area of the Vegas airport um, all late on Sunday night before my flight left to come home, and. I'm watching the race and I'm going, man, I got like two hours left in this broadcast here and uh, we're getting pretty close to it. I was like, well, there's got to be a red flag. And surely there was. Little did I know there was going to be three red flags. Uh, I know there's a lot of contention out there on throwing one, let alone three. But I think we're both pretty, pretty similar in our thinking that I had no problem with it. Now, with the third one, you probably should throw it earlier. But they didn't. But I'm fine with a one-lap shootout. This is the thing, and I mentioned it earlier. This is, for a lot of people watching this race, this is their only race they watch all year. A lot of, And not just on TV, but people in person as well. This is their lasting impact of the IndyCar series and the Indianapolis 500. You need to maximize that impact, maximize the drama. And I know people will say, well, you know, they, they shouldn't do this, that, or the other. They wouldn't have this year. doesn't matter. 2023 isn't 1992. It's not 1981. It's 1963. You have people with short attention spans and they have plenty of other options. You need to 
magnify, maximize your opportunity to make an impact on people and whether in person or not. And that's what IndyCar decided to do on Sunday. There were no nefarious activities on, of course, you know, Roger Penske is, is red flagging and all that stuff. We have no time for that stupidity on this podcast, but I think we're in agreement that it was the right move, maybe a little delayed, but you try everything you possibly can to finish under green at these races. Are we talking as much about the Indianapolis 500 in five years if they finish in yellow? No. And, and, and that's a good thing. And I think IndyCar made the right decision. I agree. Here's my thing. If you're going to throw the first two red flags, you got to throw the third, you right? got to throw the third, right? You have to be consistent with the rulings. Now we both agree. They shouldn't have waited that lap, especially as they're cleaning up stuff on, on the main straight. Right. And having to weave cars through the carnage there. I would have liked that they just could have immediately gone to pit lane or at least gone through pit lane or gone to pit lane and through the red flag of the lap earlier. But right. beyond that, no problem with it. You, you mentioned it. This is a race that for a lot of fans in attendance and a lot of people watching on TV, the only unique car race they're going to watch this year. As unfortunate as that is, that's just the that's reality. reality. Um, it's the same for NASCAR and the Daytona 500. I'd say to a lesser extent now, probably than in years past, but that's still true. And it's still true for the Super Bowl and people watching right. an NFL game. Let's yeah. be honest. For a lot of people... They have it on. They're watching because it's a Super Bowl party and that's what people do. Not because they care about football or the NFL or the teams playing in the game. Right. Or for any other sport. You know, World Cup, for example. All these big sporting events. They're a draw because they're a big sporting event. They have the cachet. Um, I think I understand people being upset as far as it feels like they're manipulating the rules and whatnot. But it's in the rules. Yeah, they didn't like break it, any it, rules. They're not breaking any rules. They have to, the race control has the discretion to do things like this. There's no conspiracy at play. No. Uh, to me, I would have felt if you would have left fans, and I was upset thinking, are they really not going to throw a red flag if they're going to give us the other two? Like in real time, I'm like, that's it. That's how right. you're going to finish this race. Yeah. Like that's that's a way. You would have felt robbed. Yes. And that's how I was feeling until it was thrown because yeah. it was a long delay. They they did a lap under yellow. Yeah. Uh, so to me, by doing that, they made the right call. There's no conspiracy because Roger Penske owns the Speedway in the series and is the car owner for Joseph. No, get out of here with that nonsense. Right. Like not everything is some grand conspiracy theory. And I understand that IndyCar, uh, its greatest strength, unfortunately, among the fan base is also its greatest weakness. And that's the simple fact that they're very passionate fans, but at the same time, uh, there's no conspiracy theory. No. Yes, you could say it is Penske Entertainment that runs things. Entertainment is the key word, maybe not Penske. To me, the key is entertainment. Yes. You are it, there to entertain. Yellow flag finishes do not entertain. They do not. And making every effort within reason for a green flag finish is totally totally okay with me for the Indy 500. Um, I, I'd be okay with it at other tracks. Now, I'm not for a green-white checker finish or adding extra distance to the race. It's a 500-mile race. It should go 500 miles. They didn't didn't do any of that. So to me, I have no problem with it. I understand people disagree. That's fine. Uh, But the the reality is they made every effort to help the fans. And I think the fans in person there, 
for the most part, loved it. For the it. most part, appreciate it. Look, I always play by the 80% rule. If you, if 80% of the people are happy with a decision, then it's the right decision. And I feel like 80% of people, yes. by and large, are satisfied with the red flag. I, I people, don't feel like there are many boos as far as that final red flag. I, I, don't, I would imagine there weren't very many. And a lot of cheers on Joseph Newgarden winning or the final lap finish. And people want to treat auto racing like it, it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. But quite frankly, you can't. And here's the thing with, with the red flags that people will say, well, why don't they do that in any other race? Well, here's the thing is the Indianapolis 500 is not going to be bumped to Peacock or USA because it goes over. No. Like if you tried that at mid Ohio with three reds or whatever, and it's on and on network television, eventually they're going away from it. Uh, and you have to watch the remainder on USA or Peacock or whatever, but the Indy 500 is not being bumped by anything on the broadcast. So you have the luxury of going over on time. And the Indy 500 is not any other race in this series. Exactly. It is the race. Quit, and, and this is the thing because people will be complaining, well, why this wasn't a penalty at the Indy 500 and why, why they're doing the red flags. The Indy 500. It's a different race. It's treated um, on its own. And whether that's positive or negative depends on the situation, depends on the person you talk to, but that's reality. And, Again, I come back to the word entertainment and Danica Patrick made a great point when she shared the story about traveling to Motegi one year for a race and uh, customs didn't really know how to label her or a reason of traveling and, and put entertainer. And that's what you, what auto racing, you, what you are, your entertainment for the masses. And it was repeated after the race by people like Tony Kanaan and, and others. And really the only one that had a problem with it was Marcus Erickson. And I understand why, because he was in position to win the race, but you're there to entertain and the red flag was thrown to try to get maximum entertainment at the end of the race. I have no problem with it. I don't have a problem with it either. And again, if you disagree, that's totally okay. No, I get it. I just, I don't think you're, you have the luxury with the IndyCar series to be boring and you have to maximize your opportunity to be at the forefront of people's um, mindset and, and, and entertainment. And I had people texting me that don't watch any other IndyCar race that were texting me about the 500 or commenting about it on social media. Those were the people that this was aimed at. And you're trying to capture them, not just the rest of the season, but look at this thing. You have 330,000 people. You have to make sure that those majority of those people go away entertained or else you risk them not coming back or second guessing or questioning it. Same with people, the 5 million plus that we're watching on television. You have to make the, the, uh, make the effort to make it as entertaining as possible going forward for people to want to return. And I think that's what, what IndyCar did. I think it was the right decision. Now, I don't think there's any amount of conspiracy theory or conspiracies involved. However, subconsciously, I wonder if Kyle Novak makes that same decision if, say, Elio Castroneves is leading at that time. Or Tony Kanaan. Or Tony Kanaan. I don't think it would be a conscious decision to say, no, we're we're not going to throw it because those guys are leading. I'm just wondering if it would subconsciously factor into that. It's, It's a good point. So on lap 198 with a wreck and the yellow being thrown, is the red being thrown if Elio is in line to win his fifth Indianapolis 500? I don't know. Yeah, I have. I don't know. I feel like the red isn't thrown, but I don't think it was a concerted effort. I think it was more just subconsciously 
the decision. Time for some other notes uh, coming out of the race. First off, Joseph Newgarden said the dragon move is a necessity at Indianapolis right now. You're not a fan I of the dragon. Marshall Pruitt's not a fan of the dragon. I think adding the hybrid unit with additional, you know, 100 additional horsepower for next year and the fact that the aero screen is going to weigh a little bit less, that will help. But what they did going into pit lane, the pit lane commit yeah. line, to me, that is absolutely should not happen. That should be a penalty. I I, I think yes. if you are across the pit line, um, and they were to a set and set amount because the pit line actually goes onto the track initially, but there should be a place of the pit line commitment line where if you are are left of this line, you are committed to going into the pits. And I don't think that's a rule right now, and I think there should be. I don't. I'm not down for banning the dragon because it's a necessary evil at this point. But I think if you cross a line, because they were well left of the attenuator, well left. And I'm thinking if you're at a certain point of that commitment line and you're to the left of it, you're committed to going into the pits. And you have, you know, penalties called at other tracks as far as going over the pit line, especially at Long Beach, right? They're they're very particular about that. Yeah, like you have Uh, to hit that sensor when you're coming out. Yeah. And I just, I think to me, that was scary. It was dangerous. Yes, it was the final lap on the race, so they got away with it. Newgarden was this close to hitting the attenuator. I mean, I can't stress that enough how close. I, I think I saw a picture and it, like he was like inches away was or he? something. So that's dangerous at the minimum. You got to ban that. Uh, I think the dragon could go away based on the hybrid units. That's my you hope. hope. So I, I do not like the dragon move. I and think the, you know, we the, should get it out of racing, but that's just me. The the arrow of the car too factors in a lot. If you could pull out and 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 make a run, not being and it wouldn't kill all momentum and arrow, then that'd be great. So part of that is the, is the aerodynamics of the car, and hopefully maybe Aero Screen two helps along with that. But it's it's unfortunately a necessary evil at this point, um, and we'll see if 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 that changes going into twenty twenty four and beyond. Uh, other notes, Joseph Newgarden, third uh, Indy Lights champ to win the Indy 500, joins Tony Kanaan and Scott Dixon. Also, Newgarden, first driver to win the Freedom 100 and Indy 500, both those stats courtesy uh, or Steve Wittich with the the second stat on the Freedom 100, Arne Shribben of IndyCar as far as the drivers to, to win both Indy Lights and the Indy 500. TV rating time. So overall, good news. Up is up. Up is up, and for IndyCar, they were up, up 2% overall based on uh, what we saw. 2%, 4.92 million viewers on NBC and Peacock. That's the 2% increase. As far as other notes, the share, which is the percentage of homes watching TV at the time who were tuned into the race, so if TV's on that were watching the race, a share of 13. That's 13%. Best mark in 15 years since 2008 when it also had a 13 share. That's huge. That, I think, to me, is the most important thing to come out of this. I would agree. Now, I'm interested, though, is this all across, like, linear television? This is not stream? Because, conceivably, less people are watching traditional over-the-air broadcasts. Tr- true. So so this includes, you know, your your networks, cable, satellite, yeah. all that. Does it, it, streaming. Does it include streaming, too? No. Like, yeah, see, that's my thing. Like... But if you're watching on Hulu TV or YouTube TV, is that factored in as opposed to just regular? That would be counted in, I believe. That's my because thing. Because they, they take Nielsen. That I'm not sure. That's a good question. So it's a good number as for far sure. as DTC, but like live TV. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know if this just goes across regular linear television and how there's less people watching television that way or if it factors in some of those other other metrics but uh, it's nothing to delve too in too far into it's it's good number so let's just uh, roll with it other notes on it most watched sunday afternoon nbc broadcast since the final round of the 22 u.s open which was last june uh, the peak was 5.8 million viewers between 4 and 4:15. of course that's at the finish TV only was 4.71 million. And for Peacock, this was a, this was the number I think going into the race. We, we were always going to be very curious to see what it would be like. 216,000 average streaming. That's uh, just shy of the 219. I've seen 218, 219 from 2022. But again, Indianapolis could watch that last year. Uh, this year they could not when it was geo blocked. So yeah. the fact that the number is relatively the same shows you've had tremendous growth in the streaming platform which is what we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast and our morning show about where people are trending towards watching sports. And as far as in different markets, Indianapolis, as far as their rating in the, the different markets, that's also also the thing. So with Indianapolis, the coverage blacked out. Um, the TV rating was a, a 9.5. So that's pretty good as well as far as what the TV numbers look like now in previous years. I mean, if you want to dive into what that means, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not too concerned to me. Like if the race is blacked out, you can't compare it to it being live and, and vice versa. Yeah. But as far as the broadcast of the race, uh, the viewership is dipped uh, 6.5 million in, in 2015. It's gone down a bit, but for it to be up last year, um, or I mean this year compared to last year, that's positive. Obviously, the pandemic race was was way down. That's not a surprise. 2021 was way up with Elio's fourth win. Um, last year kind of dipped to 4.84 million. It was down 13%. So to be up is very, very positive. Obviously, the peacock, uh, peacock growth. And then... And TV markets, Indianapolis, again, a 9.5. Dayton, Ohio, 6.3. Louisville, 6.0. Knoxville, Tennessee, 4.8. Cincinnati, 4.7. Those are the top five. Greensboro, Greensboro, North Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, and Fort Myers, Naples, Florida, all tied for sixth, the 4.6. Phoenix, a 4.5. Sacramento, a 4.2 as far as the rating goes. So now um, what we had, let's see. Last year, as far as the the rating in Indy, it was a five point seven in Indy. So this is way up from last year. Way up, way up for sure. Um, it, the the rating in Indy actually goes up because it's helped when it's blacked out. People come home and, and watch. Yeah, I, I I can't stress enough. I get people are upset about the blackout. I don't care about that personally, but. It actually helps having that. So it's it's been all over the place. The the highest they've had several, you know, huge massive ratings. I mean, above a twenty now in twenty twenty it, it drew nearly twenty five, but again, that's because it you couldn't go. Right. Uh twenty twenty one drew a twenty one point three, but again, that's because the crowd was limited and you saw a four time winner. So it's a little bit different there. But that's that's a look at T V. All positive things to say nonetheless. All the positives, um, I'm sure we got some other stuff going on, but wanted to talk about the the flying tire. Yes. And what that means and just how close all of this positivity 
came to crashing down. The the majority of the track, at least through the you know turns one, two, and four, are covered in grandstands. And the fact that the tire missed the grandstand, hit a car, um, but nobody was harmed, it is a tremendous luck for this. I really feel like luck has been a lot of part of, of the positives and negatives of IndyCar over the years. And 10 years ago, th- there was nothing but bad luck with IndyCar. Like that would have went into the crowd and killed somebody. At least one person. I mean, that thing was moving. But what needs to change to make sure? Because that was a very dangerous situation, obviously. And the tether is supposed to keep the tire from doing that. And it just sheared that tether easily. I really think you're going to see higher fencing at Indianapolis this time next year. So IndyCar said that the tether uh, did not fail in the crash that sent Kyle Kirkwood. didn't fail. It was cut, which is just as concerning, right? Yes. And uh, they, they have the tire that hit a car that hit a fan's car. Now IMS taking care of that fan. Uh, No surprise there, Um, but they believe it's an isolated incident. They're reviewing everything. Look, it's under investigation. I'm sure there'll be some sort of safety innovation that comes out of it in time for next year. As isolated as it is, you can't let it happen. And I think the easier thing to do, and you look at it as similar to baseball, like you're never going to completely get away from foul balls flying into the crowd. Okay. So I think no matter what IndyCar does, there's always going to be a situation that could happen where some piece of the car could go into the crowd. Okay. So what did baseball do? They raised netting or expanded netting because you're never going to get away from foul balls. You're just going to have to have protection there. I think that's where IndyCar and Trex are going to have to go, particularly the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is you're going to have to raise the fencing. You're never going to completely take away an, a chance for a piece of a car like a tire to fly off and go somewhere. But you can prevent it from getting into the crowd with higher fencing. I really think that's going to be the solution for IndyCar and IMS. Yes, and another thing to kind of come out of that, so no one injured by the tire. However, someone was injured by debris, but they were treated and released from the infield care center. Yeah, something you're not going to get rid of, but you're just tremendously lucky that where that incident happened is it didn't either go into the grandstand or go into a suite. It it would have killed one, if not multiple people. Like that thing was crazy fast. And you came that close to an insanely successful event by all accounts being marred by tragedy. And you can't, and IndyCar has been, been hit, hit by this multiple times, um, tragedy and, ways to prevent it. I think the simplest way to prevent it is just higher fencing. Yes. I, I think that's all you can really do. Uh, some other notes. It was the 100th victory for team Penske with shell and Pennzoil uh, across uh, all their series. Obviously a lot of NASCAR and, and supercars as well, especially with Scott McLaughlin. Um, you have the first ever team Penske crew member who is a woman to be part of a, a race winning team. First female over the wall pit crew member to win the Indy 500. Uh, she was the inside front tire changer for team Penske. Uh, you Pretty had awesome. a swarm of bees that were taken care of during the race. They were taken care of. Yes. I don't, I did not read further as, uh. as opposed to how, but they were taken care of. There was a swarm of bees that were attacking fans. You, you did not experience the bee attack. No, that was on the main street. Gotcha. Uh, you had Augustine Canapino who, 
uh, crashed out. Who really had nowhere to go. When yeah, he, his car was damaged, and then ran into uh, another car. But you see, he had the World Cup trophy there. Really? Yes. Outstanding. Really, really cool. Um, to to have that. He was very impressive until he was taken out. I mean, a guy yes. that was running around the top twenty out of uh, he was out of the picture in a good way. Uh, wasn't part of the story in a bad way. Uh, unfortunately, got caught up in something and then basically couldn't stop. And unfortunately, uh, had a hard impact there after that crash. Kyle Kirkwood in his crash, 80 G's. Uh, roughly 80 G's, the impact. He's doing okay. That from Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. Concerns about his knees. He was talking about on the radio. Uh, it was just them hitting the steering column, but he is fine. Should be good to go for Detroit. Could have been a hell of a lot worse. Ryan hunter Ray, who led some laps late um, off sequence and the, the cautions didn't fall his way, finished 11th, but his front wing adjuster broke during the first stint and they knew they needed more front wing starting lap one. This from Nathan Brown and then he star as well. Uh, he said vibrations got so bad at one point he couldn't see. Yeah. <laughs> and he still finished 11th. And that's what Towns of says, like the vibrations because Scott Dixon Scott dealt Nixon's with it. Like vibrations. insane. Yes. I mean, that rear wing was just moving after the end of, at the end of the first stint. It just creates blurred vision. And uh, Scott Dixon being Scott Dixon and was there at the end, but never kind of in contention, but finished what? Eighth? Scott sixth? Dixon finished sixth. And we didn't even talk about Polo and VK. So VK obviously took out Polo. For Blow to rally back and finish in fourth, yeah, was after tremendous. he looked to have a a race winning car in a second straight year, you know something beyond his control kind of takes him out of contention. But he actually found himself near the front, and you know, with a possibility, it, it was tough. But you just he ran out of laps there, and and that kind of leads into something real quick too. When we talk about people that aren't taking advantage of the opportunity or hurting themselves going forward, we talked about Felix Rosenquist. How about Renus VK? is similar incident. I don't know if he was just trying to cook it too hard, too fast coming out of pit road. Uh, Catherine Legg did the same thing, but for Renus VK to effectively take out one of the leaders and how he did, this was a dude that uh, in the last year or two has been highly sought after. He's not doing himself any favors in terms of having a big team jump on him right now. No. And really since the momentum he had last year going into the Indy five, 500, and then to, to crash out, he finished last last year. This year, he did rally back after a penalty and finished in tenth. So it was a, a, a good finishing position, but it's it's been rough go. Great qualifying team, right, Fred Carpenter? You just want to see it's, what they can do in the race. And two cars in the top ten is solid, but right, they just that, can't. Win that it. crash took them out of contention. I, I, that's why I I refuse to get excited about Ed Carpenter racing and qualifying because I'm like they've never been able to finish and win a race or win a five hundred. That's my thing. I mean, you had to pull sitter three times and couldn't win it. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Ed Carpenter was so close back in 2018. Um, All right. So that's a a look at a lot of the stuff from the Indy 500. It's hard to believe we we talked about all that. Didn't even talk about, you know, Palo really that much. But there was just so much to to take away from this race. All right. So moving forward. It's Detroit race weekend and some notes from Chad 200 with our uh, three key stats uh, via Twitter for Detroit. One of the last 17 races has been won from pole. Mm. Last three races, won from row eight 
Power has two wins, seven podiums, 142 laps led, but 13.2 average starting position in the last five. New Gardens won pole position in three of the last four races. And a bonus stat for you, Connor Daly has led more laps in Detroit than all the following drivers combined. Marcus Erickson, Pato Award, Alex Blow, Roman Grosjean, Felix Rosenquist, Colton Herta, Renus VK, Scott McLaughlin, David Malukas, Callum Eilat, Christian Lungard, Kyle Kirkwood, Devlin DeFrancesco, and Jack Harvey. That's a lot. That is a lot. All that you said doesn't matter because it's a new racetrack. That's I mean, true. Everything is at zeros now with with this with this uh, track and these drivers. So whatever's happened at Detroit doesn't matter. You may still be racing at Detroit, but it's a completely different track now on the streets of Detroit. And so my thing is is I don't know what to expect this weekend. New configuration. You're not on Belle Isle. You hope it races. It looks like a lot of of, of some long straights. Breaking, yeah, a lot of long straights with some breaking zones. And we'll see how this this uh, race drives and races. Um, but really excited to see it, and, and also really excited about the event that it's going to be. I mean, Belle Isle, it was stale. You tried to hype it up by being in the middle of the Detroit River, right? But it was a pain in the ass to get there to watch the race. Pain in the ass to get off the island to get back. It was just it it, it there was more headlines in the Detroit media about people not wanting the race at Belle Isle. The now and 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 I think it's it's galvanized the event in the sense of the Detroit Grand Prix moving locales and having the support of of the community and the city. Can't wait for this event. Hopefully, it races well. Hopefully, it looks great on TV with people there and in the seats. Sounds like it's going to be a healthy crowd. You'll be there. Uh, really looking forward to it. But everything that's happened previously, Detroit, throw it out the window. One point seven mile, ten turn street circuit. Again, around near the uh, Renaissance Center in downtown Detroit. And reserve seating already sold out for Sunday. No limited tickets remain for Saturday. Obviously, plenty of general admission seats still available. And also, there are some free viewing areas. So you could even go, yeah, you might not see a lot, but there are free viewing areas. That's part of their whole plan for this event uh, coming up this weekend. So a look at the schedule, all times Eastern. The practice one, this is a long practice session, 3 o'clock to 4.30. Well, new track, yes. first time on there, kind of makes sense. Uh, then on Saturday for IndyCar, 9.05 to 10.05 is practice two in the morning. Uh, qualifying 1.20 to 2.50 Eastern uh, on Saturday, June 3rd. Again, all the, all the outlets, Peacock, IndyCar Live for International, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio. And then uh, there is a warm-up from 10 to 10.30 on Sunday morning. And then 3 to 6 is the window for TV and radio broadcast. Uh, green flag, approximately three forty-five. I've seen. Ooh, so a little bit later. But your favorite, a forty-five minute yeah. pre-race. Well, I mean, I'll I'll be there, so I guess I won't necessarily yeah, care. That's true. As did you much. watch any of the early bird pre-race for the five hundred? I, I mean, no. I was. Well, I didn't know because you're a completionist because yeah. you went back and watched it. I didn't know if you watched. No, any of the I didn't. Pre-race I didn't watch any like of that. I did go back. I mean, I rewatched the race. I I caught some of the pre-race. Really, it was just the. The key part where you start with the, the singing and all that. Yeah. Um, one thing I was confused about post-race, like what was there a Peacock poster? I couldn't yes, find it. Yes, they any... moved it to Peacock. Yeah. Okay, so there I, was some immediate. I couldn't find it on Peacock. Really? I haven't even looked. So. Um, but I did watch the 9 to 11. I, I felt like 
you could delve into more of the storylines of the actual race itself in that nine to 11 block nine to 11 block, as opposed to the general 11 to 12, 15, where you're trying to cram everything in. Um, I did enjoy the, the nine to 11. I have heard too many people comment about that peacock only broadcast, but I, I enjoyed it. I think it set the stage for the day a lot better than the regular NBC pre-race because of all the pomp and circumstance involved in the pre-race stuff. Now, I would still like to see a lot more long-form stories. I don't think we've even got a single long-form story in the regular NBC pre-race. But it is what it is. But I I did enjoy the 9 to 11 uh, broadcast on Peacock. I think it the event is of a magnitude that it deserves more lead-up than what we get on NBC. It's basically an hour and 15-minute pre-race. You look at the Kentucky Derby and the Super Bowl That's and all like that an stuff. That's like an all-day thing. Yeah, the, the all-day. Like, I don't need an all-day thing. I don't need broadcast to start at 2 o'clock for a 7 o'clock post time like the Kentucky Derby. But at the same time, I think the Indianapolis 500 needs more lead-up, proper lead-up time on the day of, and we were able to get that through Peacock, and I appreciated it. Yeah, I think that additional pre-race coverage, this is the kind of coverage when it, NBC's done a great job of making this truly a big event. Yeah. From the broadcast side. And I think you and I, we kind of scoff at Steve Letard being part of the broadcast. And and me, I legitimately fast-forwarded through every Peacock pit box segment during the race. I didn't need... I love Mike Tirico. does a great job. Danica's more removed from IndyCar with every passing year. And take a shot for every time she refers to the IndyCars as rocket ships. And then Dale, I, I love Dale Jr. as well, but... Uh, his first year, first couple of years around the 500 was insightful and cool. Now, I just don't know what he's he's adding. But you can't say that NBC hasn't committed resources to the 500. And that's why I like seeing um, Rutledge Wood there and all those because they're making it a big deal. But it's just not for me. And and I did admittedly fast forward it. And I still don't understand why Steve Letard's part of it. They need, they need an actual IndyCar, former IndyCar engineer or... Um, somebody part of that, not Steve Letard. I would agree completely. All right. Well, so for Detroit, time for, I guess, race winner predictions. Oh, man. This is like a, it's a, it's a crapshoot because it's a new grid, right? It, or it's a new, it's a new track. New event. Yeah. You have and no idea who's going to so adapt to it quickly. W- when you think about who can adapt quickly and you kind of trend towards the top teams and, you know, is it a willpower? Is it a Scott Dixon? Can Joseph Newgarden make it two for two and coming out of the weekend despite his busy schedule? Um, I'm going to go with a willpower and think he can bounce back. He's a guy that's had success at Detroit in the past on the old circuit. I think he's a dude that can come in this weekend and make an impact. I'm going to go Will Power wins the inaugural, not inaugural, inaugural Detroit Grand Prix. I'm going to go with the guy who adapted very quickly to the recent new street circuit edition in the series. That was Colton Herta as far as the speed he found at that track in Nashville back in 2021. Obviously didn't win the race that year, but I'm going to go with Colton Herta as the driver. Andretti Autosport also has a really strong street course package, and I think that will carry over to the race on Sunday. All right. If you uh, agree or disagree with anything we've gone over, and it's been a lot, uh, we'd love Ton. for you to join us. Newtrackrecordpodcast.com is the website. While you're there, you can sign up for the email list. It is free to subscribe. You can also check out the store t-shirts and stickers for sale on social media. IndyCar Podcast is the handle on 
Instagram and Twitter. On Facebook, just search for New Track Record. And also you can email us, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. You can support us via Patreon, patreon.com slash newtrackrecord. Thanks to Xavier, Rob Stitch, and others for their support. Starts at just $1 a month for you to be a supporter. And as always, you can listen in for free on your favorite podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, Player FM, CastBox, whatever you prefer, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform. Time for the mailbag, and we have combined, condensed. We've gotten so popular that we need to start doing this. Yes. So, rate the race. First off, we'll... We'll give our ratings, and then we'll go into to the average number. But okay. what is your rating? I give it an eight. I th- the first half of the race was bl- very blasé, in my opinion. Now, it's the Indianapolis 500, so how blasé can it be? But it lacked a lot in terms of excitement. Until about lap 95, right? Yeah, right. And you had the, the first caution where Stingray Rob in the moment called out Graham Rahal, which was hilarious. Yeah, very now, much so. I wouldn't name him. He backtracked after the fact and yeah. said, yeah, I just made a mistake, got high. And then you had the pit lane chaos with VK and Pelot. Yeah, finally started delivering. And then after that, it was a different race. And we've seen that, and credit to IndyCar drivers recently, is lap one, turn one, has been relatively clean recent mm-hmm. years. The first couple laps, is everybody settles in. It's really become a... a uh, everybody says, well, you just want to settle in early, see what you got. Like, that's been reality the last several years. We haven't really had much in the way of drama, and that's what the drivers want. They want a long green stint early to try to figure out where they're at, what they have, what they don't have. We saw that once again, but yeah, I'm going to go with an eight. The first half was was all right. The second half absolutely delivered, particularly the last, what, 50, 60 laps. Yes, and we've seen this for the Indy 500. It seems the first 100 laps, they just settle in. And especially the last 50 to 60 laps. I feel like lap 140 is where things start to turn up. Now, this year, it seemed to be that restart after that caution and pit lane chaos where stuff turned up because drivers knew this is my chance to make up a lot of positions. It was hard to pass for everyone except Joseph Newgarden (laughs) as far as driving through the field. Yeah. And Alex Below for that. And and Alex Below driving back. Yeah. Through the field after that incident. Um, So I'll go eight and a half as well. Right, that's what you said. Eight I had half. an eight. Eight. Oh, okay, yep. I'll go eight, eight and a half. half. I, I thought you had a, a lot of passing. You had, I, I think, four hundred nineteen passes for position in this event. So a, a healthy number there. You had great intrigue. Yeah, the first half was a, a four hundred nineteen. Yes, passes for position. Um, last year was three thirty eight. Uh, that from Indy forty four on Twitter. So we had more. There's just more intrigue. There's obviously a, a lot to take away from this race a lot of good storylines and thought we had a exciting finish i know a lot of people say well exciting finish it's got to be a 10 i can't overlook the first half of the race being yeah i mean yes you had green fly pit pit stops those are fun for one round but when you have multiple rounds it, it starts to spread out and it was tough to pass early um yeah it definitely was speaking of tough to pass and i i saw this stat and it astounded me is we had monaco on sunday morning (laughs) right yes can you name me the year the last year and you're already shaking your head yes i can't because i saw the stat yes about the the last year they've had they had a pass for the lead under green at monaco 1996 1996 and that was apparently uh a Wet tire, dry tire situation. Correct. And I think before that, what they say, like 1986 or something 87, like that? 87, I believe. 87 was the last pure 
pass for the lead at Monaco, which is just absolutely astounding to me. That race it's almost 40 years. That race had about five laps of intrigue between laps like 53 and 58 when it started raining and yeah. Alonzo, you know, went to pit and he, he took dry tires and, and then if he would have taken intermediates, he probably would have had, had a shot, but at yeah. the time the rain wasn't really picking up. So yeah, uh, yeah the, the cars are too big for that track. Too big or too heavy. Once again, they're not going away from Monaco anytime soon, but this is the thing. And it kind of comes back to IndyCar and the Indianapolis 500 when people complain is that's your one, one opportunity to make an impact on a lot of people that only watch or go to one IndyCar race a year. And for Monaco, that is your, your that is your gem still. And for some people, that's the only race they watch all year, and it's a turd. And and you can't have that if you want to gain new followers and new dry and, and new fans. And unfortunately, that's where you're at with uh, with with Formula One in Monaco. It's it looks great, but eventually you're like, okay, I can only see these fancy yachts and and stuff in the Principality so long before you pay attention to the racing and there's just nothing going on. So our rate the race, we took the average of the entries yes. of, the, of the ones that were within the one to 10 range. So anyone who said anything above a 10, your result Rounded was down. thrown out. Yes. You were ejected. Or if anyone who, competition. I think I also took out the lowest one. I think someone said a three. So I also eliminated that just out of fairness. And the average was uh, 8.7 and uh, a lot of numbers after the decibel point. But so that goes to show, I mean, overall, people liked this result. Uh, other notes from the mailbag, and we have plenty of other things to get to this week. Don't worry, based on <laughs> and everything that happened in the last handful of days. So we're going back to late last week. DC Soda calling us out. Hey, we were wrong. Uh, you want Newgarden to follow what Dixon does? The guy who keeps finding new ways to lose the race. Also, for <laughs> qualifying, me. you should set the first three to four rows on Saturday for pull day and the rest of the field on bump day. You can still do LCQ at the end of the day. I like that idea. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, unfortunately, it's it's built for TV for Sunday for IndyCar. And yeah. love it or hate it, I think it's here to stay for the foreseeable future. Bauer Racing, Maybach, definitely not a Nissan product. They are a Mercedes product. So thanks for the correction there. Elsewhere... Uh, DC said, I'm all for teams like McLaren coming in and demonstrating they care about the series by spinning and doing everything to be competitive. Ganassi's behavior the past few years is really puzzling, given given they have to know Dixon's time is limited at this point. Yes, that's what I don't understand about Chip letting Alex Pillow get away. I mean, if if you're paying someone, they're reportedly paying Pillow... 200,000 coming into the team is completely unproven. Right. Under, under, understand that. It's low, but I'm sure it was heavily incentive laden, you know, as far as bonuses. Right. He wanted a, to be making, you know, top driver money, and he is a top driver in the series. I mean, you, you, again, we went through it. Like, you, you could give or take a, a top six is Polo, Pato, uh, Dixon, um, New Garden. And then you could argue power McLaughlin, I think, for that other spot. Right. And I think that'd be that's not that hard to 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 really get there. So oh, and Erickson also yeah. in there. Erickson. You always in there. seem to forget about Marcus Erickson, which yes. maybe Chip Ganassi is forgetting about Marcus Erickson. Yes. But as much as we're kind of criticizing Chip Ganassi, you can also say this is how many championships has McLaren won? Zero. How many Indianapolis five hundreds has McLaren won? At least in modern day. Zero. Zero. So 
we we inevitably think that's going to happen that they're going to break through but they haven't yet and uh as we record this here on wednesday morning may 31st greg doyle with an interesting article yeah, in IndyStar.com, very interesting which i don't necessarily agree with some of his points but at the same time um i respect his opinion and does make a couple good points in it but mclaren for better or for worse or at least in your opinion has came in, come in to indycar and changed the the approach within the paddock and some people like it and some people don't like it i think it's good for the sport it's good for the drivers because it's for the drivers, the driver's salary market and that's a great point because you need somebody that's coming in and resetting the market value of drivers and mclaren's doing that and eventually you have to start playing in the deep end with them but chip ganassi right now still refuses to do it and to his point McLaren has yet to win a 500 since they've come back and they've yet to win a championship. So until that happens, maybe Chip Ganassi looks like the smart one. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. But yes, it's an interesting article, especially focusing on, and we'll get to this news more, but just the simple fact that McLaren has bailed on their Whitestown facility that was announced a year ago and instead is going to be taking over the Andretti Autosports shop in 2025. Yeah. Uh, instead of building their own facility, which will speed up things for them to uh, to move into that, which will still be about three times as big as the facility they're currently in in Indianapolis. Yes. Uh, so you posted this poll. Did you agree with the final red flag, or, or did I post it? I don't remember. You uh, did. I did. Okay. N- nearly 60% of you said yes. 40% said no. Some replies here. Lee J. Walker 4. No is too late. We've always heard that it had to be enough laps to be a consideration. That apparently was thrown out. Just a bad look for IndyCar. Bra Fogg said, I hate NASCAR's practice of extending a race past the scheduled number of laps in an attempt to finish under green. However, even they don't go to a one-lap shootout for the win. As they go green-white checker, the Indy 500 should be 200 laps with no restarts after lap 198. I disagree. Adam Waney, it should have been thrown one lap sooner. Agree. I would agree there. Uh, having them drive back through the accident scene rather than coming into the pits the first time around was the mistake. You could have had a proper warm-up lane and still gone green with one to go. Yes. DC Soda, yeah, because out of that top three, I wanted New Garden to win, and having the last green lap, last 250 feet or whatever, is equally as bad. Uh, NK Harden, yes, but it should have been thrown a lap earlier, Earlier, so there are three laps instead of two. And Transocean Trojan, yes, somewhat, but you know how they are. If you're going to red flag it, do it immediately and try to save as many laps as possible. The restarts were definitely a disadvantage for the driver in first all race. So I a one-lap it- shootout was always going to be an advantage for second. I would agree. I think admittedly, though, the the race control has to make a, a quicker decision. I agree. But with that going on, um, I'd rather it being a late red than no red. Someone else saying uh, this is whistling stripes. It was a business decision and a good one. No reason to enter race on a yellow with more than a lap to go. NASCAR may have went overboard with the green white checker, but now they have the highlight to continue to drum up more excitement. Archaic rules don't add to a product. I would agree. You have to change with the times. You posted this. The 2024 Indy 500 must top this year by throwing four plus red flags. Uh, Lee J. Walker for it. Neither of the last two red flags should have been thrown. Unfortunately, NASCAR and NASCAR fans have infiltrated the 500. Uh, it's just no, I don't agree. No, uh, it, it, sorry. It's, 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 it's the landscape of 2023. It's never yes. going back to what it was. You have to maximize your opportunity. Keep going to that. Maximize your opportunity. Things like Sunday are going to gain you more fans than lose you fans. That's the big thing. That's what it comes down to is the decisions that IndyCar is making with those reds. You have a greater opportunity to build more fans and add more fans with the excitement than lose fans 
that are pissed off about the Reds. That's pure and simple. IndyCar's making the right decisions, in my opinion. Spencer Neff, 11, said, uh, posted a gift. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. That's funny. Talking about the four, uh, yeah. the four cautions. Yeah, the four DC Soda, watching the TV broadcast last night. I think they should have ended it under yellow after Pato's crash. Had a great pass by Newgarden for the lead in turn one, which would have been plenty satisfying as a winning move. Yeah, Newgarden was in the lead on one of the previous red flags. Yes, so like, was. let's not act like he wasn't up front until the very end. Jeremy from HBG said, uh, hiya, Kenny. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was my, he knew it was me <laughs> yeah. tweeting that one, yes. Uh, and BK Hickey said, uh, said no one ever. So, <laughs> uh, again, uh, tongue in cheek. I, I think that's the key. Circumstances, that, I, 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 I hope that in future Indy 500s, the first place driver isn't a sitting duck like he has been in the last several years, with or without a red. It's the same thing with the cautions. Um, and going back green. So um, you should make every effort possible to finish the Indianapolis 500 under green. That's uh, never, that's in the past, never been a priority. I don't think, but in today's day and age, it absolutely needs to be. And I appreciate IndyCar from trying to do that. I'm fine with that. As long as you're not going over 500 miles, which I don't think they would 200 laps. Yes, I absolutely agree. Uh, You posted this question upon her. Would IndyCar have thrown the final red if Elia was leading or TK? Lee J. Walker said, no, not a chance. Uh, Stealth, 1014. Once again, it appeared the captain is calling the shots at race control. Parent shooting from the hip in race control is the biggest distraction of IndyCar. Look, look Kyle Novak and Max Pappas and Ari Leindyke are calling the shots. Hey, Roger control. Penske's on a top of, of where the spotters are. He's yeah. not on a walkie-talkie saying, yeah, make sure to throw the red because I have a driver in second. Like, the conspiracy theorists are just stupid. I got no time for yeah, it. I agree. Hunter's Way 67 said, probably not. RTA 3569, they threw the first two. They had to throw the third. This is a good question. And and that is exactly how I feel about the red flags. If you do the first two and not the third. You have to throw the third. You yeah, got to stay consistent. My uh, thing is subconsciously, I wouldn't say it was a concerted effort, but if Elio Castroneves is leading at lap 198 instead of Marcus Erickson, is the red thrown? I don't think it is. No. Uh, ben underscore Neil underscore on Twitter. Uh, they didn't twice for Dario Franchitti. Yeah, he he got yep. He got yells, but that was that was different. That was different ownership. That was different ownership. A different era over even. a decade ago. I yeah, mean, the, it's a different era. You cars are, were were different. You are you, and 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 Tony Kanaan had some great comments about you know it, it's about the fans and the fans want to see the majority of the fans want to see a green flag finish. And that's why I go back to the 80% rule in, in my job during the day. And when you run a business, you, you focus on the 80%. If you can please four out of five people, then you're doing things right. And I feel like four out of five people on average, I feel appreciated what IndyCar did to try to ensure that race finished under green. Uh, meanwhile, Pato, uh, this is a screen grab from Indy 44 saying I got squeezed. I won't forget that one. I tweeted LOLs because I thought that was uh, hilarious. Uh, NK Harden said, what a joke. He's turning into an F1 type guy. Transocean Trojan. Pato tried getting cute with the restart, completely blew it, and then tried to recover his blunder by making a dumb move on the inside. I like the kid, but he choked it away with those bad decisions. And someone else uh, saying, Bauer Racing, who's the crybaby now? <laughs> yeah, I uh, think- he's He's finding a way to lose fans pretty quickly. Well, with, I don't know if he's losing the- fans as much as he's... Um, this is the thing is we always clamor for drivers to speak their minds and mm-hmm. maybe some rivalries, but then we kind of want to piss on them when they do and say, Oh, you know, 
you're dumb and stupid and losing fans. No, I I think it's great to have differing opinions and I think he's wrong, but if it helps develop some rivalries in this sport, by all means, somebody has got to be the bad guy. Somebody has got to be wrong in a situation. He's become the heel. Yeah. Which is good. I I don't think any less of Pato war because of him speaking out. I don't necessarily agree with some of his opinions, but I think it's good for the sport. Now he just needs to win races and win a championship. Yeah. Uh, time to discuss the points battle. Uh, Daguerre says, I have one question for you guys. Will you continue to underestimate the talent Marcus Erickson for another year? Or are you beginning to see a pattern to his performances like the rest of us with a, a wink face? Emoji well, I think we appreciate, I, I think we appreciate his talent more than Chip Canassi does at this yeah, point. That's true. <laughs> uh, clearly a, a top guy as Pelos up there. Um, uh, Marcus Erickson, second, 20 points back. Pato, 34 points back. Newgarden, 37. Dixon, 57 back. Plenty of time, though, left in the season. We're, we're six races in out of 17. So it's... it's Yeah, we're not, not even halfway in this thing, but... Um, I am analog saying, I wonder who ends up higher, Pato or Herta. Yeah, Herta's had a rough start, but he did have a good rebound in the Indy 500, even with the penalty for running into Grosjean exiting the pits. The fact that he still salvaged that with the top 10 was was pretty big i've already seen a couple graphics out there that if the indianapolis 500 was double points what it would be i want to see somebody put in the investment where if it was triple or quadruple (laughs) or quintuple points and what the standings would be the standings are the standings i don't care what they what they look like in any other configuration or what they would look like with this blah 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 the standings are the standings i go by what this year's rules are and that means right now alex is leading the stand the points by 20 several other entries as far as the mailbag goes, DC Soda, I'm way late to this one, but even on Friday, it's still funny to frame Penske not winning for three whole years in a row is a big problem. I understand the expectation they have themselves, but we don't have to pretend we don't know how hard this race is to win. You I know, know I, I would say it's not been that hard for Penske to win. I mean, I just think we were we've been surprised the last couple of years in the complete inability to compete. Yeah, it, it wasn't just qualifying was poor it was that the race was also poor it was the fact they were off on both right now as far as indy 500 results i mean for team penske they have 19 wins now that's yeah. dominant and they're, you they're can, doing fine you nobody else go, has what, six more than six yeah i think so i think it's I mean, ganassi with six you're going all the way back for their first year at indy was 1970 so you're talking what like 50 19 years wins and 53 50, tries. 53 years. like that's actually a really high percentage pretty decent so to go that long that was a long gap for them they went from 2015 to 2018 2018 to 2019 2019 to 2023 before 2015 would have been all the way back in 2009 that was a long gap right so <laughs> just something to keep in mind a lot going on other notes uh, a couple things from poet Shevchenko. Having attended the race in person, it was my best experience of my four five hundreds. New security system, and I got into the track very fast. Yeah, what was that about? Did you? Yeah, you just it? you you walk through. I, I had it for the GP for qualifying for the race, and very nice. You walk through these scanners. That was nice. Now my thing is, if there's something that is banned, how do they you know corral yeah. that fan? But so there's like nobody even around it. Or? No, there are people around it. You oh. just you walk through. They don't search your cooler. Gotcha. Uh, which is really nice. Uh, he said it got into the track very fast, so the better and easier it is for the fans. The more of them, I think, will be repeat customers. Yeah, it was great getting in. Also added uh, this year, probably the first year any car was not servicing, you know, deferred 2020 tickets. So the 300,000 plus crowd was all revenue coming in. And then he corrected that with 330,000 plus as far as the estimates. 
Uh, so that also a factor. And run underscore mark underscore run. That article is something. Talking about Doyle's article in the Indie Star. Uh, Greg Doyle. I have to side with the guys uh, from New Track Record that McLaren is good for the sport since it's going to force other teams to up the ante. The abandoned factory thing isn't a great look, though. Yeah, it's it, it does go both ways, right? And I think they're playing by different rules and not IndyCar's rules, so it's a shakeup for the teams to adapt. Obviously, Chip Ganassi having to adapt. But until they win a championship and or an Indy 500, it, it's hard to say they've been a success based on the investment. Right. Um, I think it, inevitably it comes, but yes. at the same time, um, I think I think McLaren at coming to IndyCar has been great. It's shaken up the establishment. Some people will th- say negatively. I will not say that. I, I think it's been great for the sport, raising ever, the bar for everybody else, and putting some dis- different expectations on the the sport in general. I think it's been great. News and notes time as we wrap things up. Last week there was a great article. Uh, by Jenna Fryer, the AP on AJ Foyt. So make sure you check yeah, that, that was out. Phenomenal. A, a really, really good read talking about everything with the, with the team cheating death, uh, his wife passing away uh, earlier this year. So there's a lot of great stuff. Uh, Nathan Brown with an article, um, some issues for Andretti globals, $200 million shop. Uh, Dylan construction. Who's going to design and build it has sued the company running the project mm, that's fun. for over $11 million for breach of contract, copyright infringement after its contract was terminated. So interesting read there, IndyStar.com. Uh, Takuma Sato, his career at a crossroads, we thought he'd have a, a strong showing in the Indy 500, but he doesn't know, you know if this is his last 500. It's a part-time deal with Ganassi. Uh, he was set to drive the ovals. I'll be curious to see if Marcus Armstrong... Uh, we were told, you know, only Texas and Indy 500 were guaranteed as far as for Sato. So, um, uh, Sato saying his future is open. I will be curious what his chances are to be back. I mean, he's still a really fast driver and he, he's been quite good. If it's his final race in the Indy 500, he, he says he'll be sad. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a guy who's had a lot of success and you would think someone would want to give him an opportunity. You would imagine, but, um, I think he's not done. I think I think I think he gets another shot somewhere. Uh, meanwhile, Milwaukee Mile remains part of ongoing discussions for the IndyCar series. That from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Uh, you can go into that. Uh, Mark Miles saying they're having ongoing discussions. Look, I'll be shocked if this race isn't back on the schedule for next year. I would agree. Uh, the revised Aero screen uh, coming next year, and a lot of technical details here from Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com. In this, but again, AeroScreen 2.0, it'll be lighter. Yeah. That's the key. Um, they took the original frame and they reduced the weight. It's 3D printed. So that's helpful. And they want the first test of next year uh, to have 27 ready and then they can fill in the extra supply. They'd be, uh, they'd have 66 of them total ready for Indy. So, uh, it's not quite far along in the, in the process yet as far as uh, manufacturing. Now, right now, it should be 6.8 pounds lighter. I know they're going for, what, 20 or so? Um, but it, they Every can produce five helps. to eight a month. So it's yeah, that takes a lot of time. Not an assembly line operation, that's no. for sure. No, a very, very expensive thing. But they're aiming for a total weight reduction of 11.2 pounds, trying to make it closer to 12. They're not going to make duck work mandatory. so. 
that will be interesting for the drivers. Now, the the interesting thing is, and this I think was from Marshall Pruitt, and I was reading a story, is is they're going to have different arrow screens for ovals and road courses. Finally. Street, yes. Which will have some sort of venting ability for either, what was it, for ovals or street and road courses. So there'll be different configurations, I guess, next year is what I'm saying. It's about time. Single day tickets on sale for... The Honda Indy Toronto, that's uh, as of today. Uh, also, Linus Lundquist will test with Ed Carpenter Racing at Sebring on June 8th. Toby Sowery will also test with Ray Hall Letterman Lanning in Racing that same day. That was previously announced. A really good article with some tidbits. So you know that Will Power's wife, Liz, has gone through some health scares. And People.com with the exclusive as far as some of these details, 106 degree fever. Yeah, uh, back in January. I mean, she nearly died. Had an infection that got into her spine and uh, needed treatment. So, yeah, a we, we've gotten like vague details, but this is the first really breakdown of exactly what Liz went through and still recovering from. But, man, that's uh, definitely life-threatening uh, conditions that she went through. And uh, sad news, Corky Andretti. Uh, Aldo's widow has died. So that from spin doctor 500. So Aldo Andretti died. What was it last year? Uh, last year, the year before. Yeah. So, uh, she's passed away as well. So, uh, some sad news for the Andretti family there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, one, uh, I think actually, I think that is it as far as notes, uh, one tweet of the week and it is this one Jenna Fryer with Joseph Newgarden's McDonald's order. Oh, really? So she says, Indy 500 winner Joseph Newgarden, the shirtless star of 100 Days to Indy, just told me his routine McDonald's order. 12-pack of nuggets, two McChickens, two Quarter Pounders, McFlurry, and a large fry. Wait, wait, wait. This is what he eats? Yes. Well, I guess so he's... Remember he after the... the 500, he got yeah. a, a bag of McDonald's and a beer from Roger Penske. That's true. Um, Obviously, he got the milk. And I guess he needs the carbs because he's uh, he's working on becoming a professional weightlifter. Like, uh, part of me wants to be like, let's try this. No, I don't want to die. Like, we'd have to share it, and we'd still feel awful. Yeah, what is it? A t- the nuggets, twelve piece, twelve piece of nuggets. Okay, two, two McChickens, two quarter pounders, a McFlurry, and a large fry. We could split that and and feel awful. Yeah, you, I think so. we could not eat that. Like just ourselves. No, no, I would have to not eat all day. And <laughs> I know then, that's my thing. And then eat like a tiny snack because that's the key. You can't go go in it on like a complete empty stomach. And then try yes. this. I'd I'd feel off. No, but we're also not burning four thousand calories a day. Like no, Joseph probably more. Either. Yeah, in the car or or working out. That's for sure. All right, time for a random split era driver of the week. All right, the random split era driver of the week, it, it takes no breaks, even post Indianapolis 500. We're going with a 500 starter. It was his only start ever in the IRL. It came in the year 2000 with Andy Hillenberg from Indianapolis, Indiana. He was a native in Indianapolis. And an interesting post Indy career for Andrew, Hillen- Andy, Andrew Miles Hillenberg. He's currently the, uh, let's see, team owner and track owner. He, he owns fast track racing and really um, involved in ARCA and has also fielded entries in Cup and the Truck Series. And he is credited with reviving the North Carolina Speedway, also known as Rockingham, after the track lost its NASCAR dates in the mid-2000s. Um, 
So it's an expansive career after racing, but in racing, uh, competed uh, several years in what was then the Nextel Cup in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Actually had his own team in Andy Hillenberg Racing, but uh, for IndyCar or the IRL that one year with Hillenberg Racing, his own team in 2000, driving into Lara Oldsmobile, started the Indianapolis 500 in 2000, finished 28th, and eventually went out uh, of the, the race due to a wheel bearing issue. Um, and that was it. He was one and done in IndyCar or the IRL. After that, got into uh, more of ARCA. He did that in, throughout the 90s and 2000s. Uh, did craft some truck series, bush series, did some cup races, started four Daytona 500, excuse me, entered four Daytona 500s. Only qualified for one in 1998 with Sadler Brothers Racing, finished 29th. But a guy that uh, was track president for Rockingham and owns a team in ARCA and the Menard Series. So very active in racing, but just one career start in the IRL was the 2000 Indianapolis 500. And of note, he's acted in a few movies. Three, the Dale Earnhardt story on ESPN. Herbie, fully loaded. One of your faves. Yeah, that starred, um, oh, for Mean Girls, uh, Lindsay Lohan. She was in Herbie Fully yep, Loaded. that's right. And Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, which obviously starred uh, Will Ferrell. Yeah, so a, a multifaceted career for Andy Hillenberg that included just one start at the Indianapolis 500. Indianapolis native. It's like a, a, a rite of passage as a uh, racing driver in Indianapolis. You have to at least try to make the 500 at some point. He made it in 2000, finished uh, and went out 28th. So that is this week's random split air driver of the week, Andy Hillenberg. Again, just one IndyCar start, the 2000 Indy 500 uh, for his career. All right, that wraps up this week's episode, a lengthy episode. We'll be back yes. next week to recap the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix on the streets of Detroit downtown next week on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.